Welcome to KISS FAQ Song Stories. In this series, we'll focus on the histories of some of KISS's best and least known songs. In this episode, King of the Nighttime World, originally released on KISS's Destroyer album in 1976. This song was one of the most well-known KISS songs, at least back in the day. What some may not have realized initially was, the song was actually a cover, albeit a musically rewritten and modified one. It had originally been written by Kim Fowley and Mark Antony and performed and recorded for their ill-fated Hollywood Stars project. The Stars were a band that Kim had been putting together in late 1973, similar to what he would later do slightly more successfully with the all-girl Runaways. He wanted them to be something of a West Coast New York Dolls and took essentially random players and put them together to construct a band, co-opting the name of a local minor baseball team. He quickly cast aside the futile attempts to clone the dolls. Fowley recalled the band's construct in the spring 1975 issue of Bump, a quarterly rock and roll magazine. He said, quote, I thought an American up-to-date version of the original move, plus the mod who, plus the energy of the small faces with music that the pseudo-intellectual album buyer could purchase, but that would also appeal to teenage girls, who certainly have been neglected in recent years, would cause everyone to rally. Players fitting the heartthrob bill were quickly added to the band's lineup. Guitarist and vocalist Mark Antony had been working as Kim's driver. With the lineup assembled, the band engaged in extensive musical rehearsals, working up a mix of catchy material written by the band members, Kim, and others such as Steppenwolf's Mars Bonfire. Kim wanted them to have a street cred and avoid the pomposity of extended solos or jams. The Hollywood stars made their public debut at the Whiskey in December 1973. With their catchy and concise songs, they were immediately being hyped, at least by Fowley, as the next big thing. Antony wrote the song's music, while Fowley's original lyrics were inspired during a voyeuristic episode where he had watched on as a member of the band received fellatio while bathed in the headlight of a nearby car. Thus, two characters were anointed, the king of the nighttime world and his headlight queen. This sort of writing shared a common theme with other material that Kim was writing at the same time. Another of the band's songs was titled Shine Like a Radio, which was ultimately the title of their album when the recordings were finally released decades later. One early show review in the LA Times noted, They are both naive and clever, romantic and cynical, sincere and stylish. They do need to be looser on stage, less preoccupied with being cool, but when they eliminate that feeling of calculation that occasionally comes across, the Hollywood stars could well be the answer we're all looking for. It was a promising start indeed. From the beginning, Fowley was shopping for a record contract for the group, and it didn't take long for them to be signed by Columbia Records. The recording of their debut started at the record plant with Bill Simzak assigned to the production duties. In reality, Bill was purportedly seen in the studio just once during the 34 days the band recorded. He was apparently still busy with Joe Walsh working on his So What album. Production credits were later assigned to his engineer, Alan Blazek. 
Unfortunately, with the recording nearly completed, the release and support was pulled by Columbia during a wholesale shakeup of their talent roster, and the stars were dropped. Fowley had already bailed on the group after being rejected as the album's producer by Columbia. He was also banned from the studio sessions to ensure that he didn't interfere during the recording process. Their original studio version of the song started circulating widely in 2010, when a quarter-inch tape containing a rough mix of the recordings was found. It would be properly released when included on the album Shine Like a Radio, The Great Lost 1974 album in 2013, along with the rest of those sessions. Even with the hype, other labels were purportedly unwilling to sign the band. An unexplained axing by Columbia, which an A&R shakeup and purge shouldn't have tarnished their reputation, but they struggled nonetheless. With things falling apart, Mark Antony quit the band and the group ultimately broke up following a farewell show at the Whiskey in November 1974. Kim and Mark continued writing songs and shopping them around. Producer Bob Ezrin had attended one of the Star's December 1973 shows at the Whiskey, but had rejected working with the band. However, he did like two of the songs and did promise Kim that should the opportunity arise, he'd place them with artists he was working with. Kim recounted to Ken Sharp in the Behind the Mask book, Bob Ezrin telling him, Quote, I don't like the band, but I love that song. There's something there, but it needs to be written. If the band ever breaks up, call me and I'll find a home for it. The first opportunity for that arose in late 1974 when Escape was placed with Alice Cooper for his Welcome to My Nightmare album. While he'd retained the chorus, other lyrics would be rewritten by Alice with the song serving as the album's closing track. That album provided a blueprint for what he'd later do with Kiss, and tracks including his children, and also a children's choir, were included on backing vocals. When Bob was recruited to work with Kiss, Kim suggested that he use King of the Nighttime World with them. As Bob told author James Campion in 2014, for the Destroyer album Bible, shouted out loud, quote, I used to talk to Kim a lot in those days. He was a very entertaining guy, totally encyclopedic about music, so he knew I was doing Kiss, and it was his idea we do the song. Once I heard it again, I knew it was in perfect keeping with the project, and it kind of defines who Stanley is. Bob felt that it was the sort of song that reflected much of what he felt about Paul Stanley in particular. The original was certainly a starting point, and Bob and Paul took it and reworked the song's arrangement to better fit Kiss's perspective. It took a lot of work, and was more than just slapping on a fresh coat of paint to transform what was a standard Stones or Hoopalish ode to rock depravity into something of grandiose stature. Be it Alice Cooper's Escape or Kiss, the original songs were written by different people, with different perspectives, for different audiences. Obviously there was enough there for Paul and Bob Ezrin to latch onto, to take the original idea to a completely different level, with a perspective the Hollywood stars and Kim Fowley could only aspire to at the time it was written. Lyrically though, there were only very minor changes made to the verses, and the chorus remained the same, but there the similarities end. The arrangement and the music were key. The tempo of the original was increased and the band recorded the song in a higher key, making the tone brighter and more commanding. 
the 7-8 section in the middle provided a particular challenge and unique experience for Bob, with all of the members of the band being thrown off by the unusual time change. Ultimately, though, they were able to pull it together by simplifying any parts that proved too difficult to perfect. Major differences between the two versions come more from an inexperienced band making its first recordings versus a well-established one with players with established styles and roles, plus the benefit of a savant producer. A couple of Destroyer session rehearsals circulate featuring the song being worked on by the band in the studio. They're clearly reference recordings, but are more than adequate to provide a glimpse behind the curtain of creativity. One longer sequence illustrates the band trying to perform a run-through of an arrangement of the song. It's clearly not their first take, but Paul confidently proclaims, Slow down, Shredder. Let's try it again. This time we'll do it. <laughs> the intro still closely mirrors the somewhat stodgy original Hollywood Stars version, culminating in a sustained string bend. There's no monstrous frelly squealing feedback note yet to blend from the car crash of Detroit Rock City. <laughs> beginning would ultimately be discarded, or perhaps was solely used to cue up Peter's rolling machine gun 16th note snare drum attack at the point where Kiss would ultimately start their version of the song. And then it gets real as the second guitar and bass join the fray, and the big power chords ring out, striking the familiar introductory pattern. <laughs> structure feels very familiar musically. The arrangement is tightened so that the song quickly blasts through the chorus to get to the second verse without any unnecessary noodling. The accelerator is firmly on the floor. After a second verse, the band sets up a break that leads into the first solo section, and there's some tasty off-the-cuff playing thrown into the space where the solo will eventually sit. somewhat awkward transition into the third verse, the song motors home building towards the point where the vocal would have illustrated the inevitable whole lot of love musically inspired climax.
It's not disappointing when the song ends prematurely. The rehearsal is pure gold as evidence of a band making another band's composition wholly their own. KISS is fully stamping their identity on King of the Nighttime World. The completed studio version illustrates the significant transformation. A confident and powerful vocal directs the message of the lyric at a known target. It was very stage show musical and the perfect role for Paul Stanley, and the band provided the perfect backing with a constrained fury. Studio sheets suggest that the vocal was recorded on the morning of January the 13th, 1976. For Paul, the song provided a perfect starting point. He recalled on the Kiss box set liner notes, quote, King of the Nighttime World was one of those giant leaps forward for us on Destroyer. It had that same cinematic visual quality that made Destroyer so unique. I remember recording it in the studio, using my sunburst Gibson double neck with the toggle switch set to the middle position, so that as I was playing on the 6-string neck, the 12-string neck was resonating harmonically. Learning those songs for the live show initially took a lot of discipline for all of us, and found us usually anchored to the floor wherever we stood on the stage. It was a long time before we could play those songs running around. Changes made by Paul and Bob, the song became a vivid oral painting that represented Kiss's anthemic perspective. The song sounded like it was supposed to be performed from an arena stage to a throng of many thousands rather than a mere hundred in a dingy club. But the overall performance wasn't all about the vocal or Paul, and was the sum of its individual contributions that helped make the song and album spectacular. Peter Chris told Ken Sharp for Goldmine magazine in 1998, I think King of the Nighttime World was really great. I played the shit out of that. It was amazing if you listen to the drums. All the work in it is really brilliant. That was a lot of physical work and yet it was tasteful. The dynamics of that song were incredible. I felt like I was marching to war and then all of a sudden I'm rocking and rolling. Tied to Destroyer's opening track, Detroit Rock City, the pair offered an irresistible one-two punch. King of the Nighttime World was included among a staggering seven selections off the Destroyer album initially planned for performance during the U.S. tour commencing in July 1976. For Destroyer's Spirit of 76 tour, the album was fully represented with the powerful and dynamic one-two punch of Detroit Rock City immediately segueing into the song, and on tour, it was initially complete with the car-crashed sound effects. Fortunately for fans, there are multiple soundboard recordings from the tour, notably Toronto and Cleveland. There are also several glorious pro shop videos, such as Anaheim and Houston, and the glorious black and white Roosevelt Stadium show. Following the conclusion of the tour on September the 12th, the band flew to Los Angeles to film their appearance for the Paul Lind Halloween special. Documents suggest their mime performance of King of the Nighttime World was filmed along with Beth on October the 21st. 
Following the filming, Jean, Paul, and Peter returned to the East Coast on October the 22nd, while Ace and Jeanette took a week's holiday in Hawaii, returning to New York on November the 1st. Hollywood stars guitarist Ruben De Fuentes remembered that during the band's time on Clive Davis's Arister label in late 1976, Anthony had received $84,000 in royalties for his songwriting credits for Kiss and Alice Cooper. It was a useful windfall for Anthony at a time when he was making a second attempt to make it with the band. He apparently purchased a motorhome to ensure that he wouldn't become homeless. Ruben also told the Skylight webzine in 2019 that while only Kim and Mark benefited financially as the songwriters, it was still exciting to hear songs that had started out with his band performed by superstars of the day such as Alice Cooper and Kiss. By the time rehearsals started for the Rock and Roll Over tour in November 1976, the song had been dropped. Space was needed in the set for fresh songs, and seven songs from the new album were being rehearsed for the tour. It wouldn't tarnish the legacy of King of the Nighttime World. Its status had already been cemented by its inclusion on the Paul Lynde show. The same would be the case for the Love Gun tour the following year, when yet another seven songs were rehearsed. These points illustrate the incredible amount of material that KISS were generating in a very short time. Months later, the song was included on the KISS Alive 2 album. The band chose not to repeat the songs originally released on the first Alive in 1975, even though a decreasing few had remained in the set. That decision made the album an interesting best-of-live versions culled from the previous 18 months in a form that no longer mirrored their set. However, since many markets had missed tours or had only been visit one time out of three, it was a good sampler of much of the material performed since 1975. The live version of King of the Nighttime World should be placed in the same category as Hard Luck Woman or Tomorrow and Tonight as a studio recording or a rehearsal soundcheck soundboard with the required audience overdubs. Those techniques were part of the magic of Kiss Alive too. Eddie Kramer has commented on the construction of that second live album for music today, quote, There was some live stuff. It was cut in between. But look, quite frankly, who cares? If people enjoy it, it doesn't matter. It's only a live set. We made it sound as live as we could. A lot of the difficulties was when they played and jumped around on stage. Nothing stayed in tune and nothing was played very accurately. It was all done for the sake of the show. So you have to be creative and make it sound good. Sometimes you have to go and cut new tracks. Sometimes you have to overdub. Sometimes you use what is already on tape from the live show, fix it up and make it sound better. With Kiss Alive 2 being one of their very best-selling albums, its success cannot be questioned, even if its overall quality can be debated. The recording of King of the Nighttime World on that album does not match up with any circulating soundboard quality shows from the period, unlike those songs on the album which can clearly be identified as being sourced from the Tokyo 1977 recordings. However, we don't know everything. Theoretically, there were other shows professionally recorded during the 1976-77 timeframe from which those bass tracks could have been obtained and then modified for use. Eddie Kramer had been hired to record the Anaheim show in 1976, but may have also captured other shows during the tour, or even sound checks. Because of its inclusion on the album, the song returned to the band's live set for the supporting Kiss Alive 2 tour in late 1977-early 1978. The song remained in the set for the band's Return of Kiss tour the following year and for Unmasked in 1980, after which it only made rare appearances in the 1980s before being revived in 1995. It would also regularly appear on the Alive Worldwide reunion tour before being dropped in mid-1999. 
it was not performed during the band's farewell tour. In the two decades since, the song has been performed with decreasing regularity. The traditional pairing of Detroit Rock City and King of the Nighttime World kicked off the unique Kiss Alive 4 Symphony performance in Melbourne, Australia on February 28, 2003. During the performance, the two songs were split with a Paul Rapp introducing the latter. This was edited out for the album version to make the transition seamless. Omitted from the short greatest hit set on tour with Aerosmith in 2003, the song was performed just seven times during the 2004 Rock the Nation tour. Only one of those performances was captured for the instant live releases that were being recorded during that tour, with the other performances occurring in Japan and Australia. A live version was also officially released on a three-track, three-inch bonus CD included with initial copies of the Japanese version of the Rock the Nation Live DVD package. That track was recorded live at Virginia Beach on July the 25th, 2004. In comparison with the instant live recordings of this material, very little, if anything, was apparently done to the recordings apart from the audience track being boosted for a more live and consistent feel, and Tommy's bad picking or misfretting at the beginning of the song being removed. Calling it a false start is probably unkind, with the song requiring a strong pick strike against the string to allow it to be bent and ring out clearly and sustain with feedback as required. This is illustrated in the Instant Live first, followed by the EP version. Y'all ought to know this, Kiss Army. Y'all ought to know this, Kiss Army. The original untouched 2004 Instant Live CD version was oddly also released on the Japanese release versions of Monster in 2012 and 13, billed as the Rock the Nation Lost Track. The double note intro was restored, but the boosted audience remained, making a third version of that single song released. In the years since 2004, King of the Nighttime World has been performed with decreasing frequency. There would be batches of performance of the song in 2006 and 2009, and the song was dragged out of retirement for the band's appearance on The Tonight Show in 2014. It only survived for a further four performances during the Heroes tour with Def Leppard. To date, it has never been performed during the Kiss Cruise. Oh, yeah, 